When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to DM to GM. This is the show where we help you feel more comfortable playing the games that you want to play. I'm your DM from Dungeons and Dragons, Russ Moore. And I'm your GM from The End of Time and Other Bothers, Sean Howard. And with us today, a very special guest. Hi, I'm Rev, and I'm the Keeper from The Crit Show, uh, which is an actual play podcast where we play Monster of the Week and other Powered by the Apocalypse games. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Rev. It is my pleasure. It, it was kind of a, a bet, uh... Sean and I have a mutual friend, Rachel, and, uh, well, she's convinced that the two of us will never meet in person because it just keeps misfiring. Uh, so this is as close as we're going to get. <laughs> Sean's very elusive. See, now he's just disappeared <laughs> did. from the from the video chat. So, I mean, we don't know if either of you are real people. I'm a very complicated set of uh, puppets. I, I, I basically, yeah, I'm... I got nothing. You'd never know I'm a comedy improviser. I got nothing. Today we're going to do something a little different because Rev is so well-versed in the Powered by the Apocalypse world, and we have uh, many questions that come based on that system uh, that we are going to tackle or try to tackle some questions specifically for getting you started in that game system. Yeah, and so we're going to start with Sean, uh, me, Um Hey, wait, Rev. don't you play this game system? Why are you asking questions? I know. I, well, because so, so Rev, I'm, I played D&D since, well, we won't say, I turned 15. I don't want to, well, I've just said it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> since I was like, I don't know, 12, 11. Um, and uh, when I was looking to launch The End of Time and Other Bothers, I went through this whole thing, right? I wanted to be story driven. And I, I was looking at a lot of PBTA games, but I found the alienness of them, right, was just so, they were just alien, right? They were just so different, this like sheets and uh, player sheets and all this stuff. And so when I, when someone turned me on to Dungeon World, I, it was like, it, it felt like the, it was, it was D&D, but it was different, right? And, um, and I've been listening to your season two, where you, you launched your players into, you start season two, shifting everyone into new characters in Dungeon World. And, I'm just interested in because now looking back at the other PBTA games I play, I'm like, it's probably one of the more complicated, you know, PBTA systems. Dungeon World. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah. You know, it's got the thick book, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm wondering a couple things. Like, uh, B, um, what would you recommend for someone starting out, right? Because it's that the idea that oh, it looks like D and D a little, right? Same classes, same, blah blah blah. And then also we can explore what has it been like taking your, I guess it was a while back, but what was it like taking your table into Dungeon World? Yeah, I think, um, you know, starting off, if this is your first experience with a Powered by the Apocalypse game, I almost would suggest something more like Monster of the Week than Dungeon World, yeah. just because Dungeon World is just similar enough. If you come from a table that's 
mostly D&D or Pathfinder, um, there are a lot of things that can kind of get you tripped up as you try to shift gears from one game style to another. And so breaking away from the genre entirely is probably going to make for an easier transition because it, I think it's just going to get easier to get caught up if it looks like D&D, but it's not. Um, whereas if you go into Monster of the Week, you know, it's a completely different world it's a different genre and so you can learn the basic rules there and then transfer them over to dungeon world you know once you kind of want to jump genres yeah because i was I, I agree like monster of the week it actually like walks you through we did it in an earlier episode it walks you through like i think in 20 minutes right we yeah. had the start of a campaign right it like walks you through how to do it yeah you know we take this game um to conventions and we set up tables and we run and in the course of about three and a half hours with monster of the week you can get everybody down who has never played a game before. They can make a character. They can get connections between the characters and they can play through a mystery and be, you know, out of the room within four hours. What was it like bringing your table into, um, uh, I guess, into Dungeon World from from Monster of the Week? You know, it was a little bit of a shift. Like you said, it's it really is kind of the one of the more complicated Powered by the Apocalypse games uh, because there there is a lot more um rules and creatures and damage die and you know it's one of the few powered by the apocalypse games where i actually have to roll dice um you know i roll creature damage um and so it, it didn't take a long time because really a lot of the powered by the apocalypse moves are you know they'll name them something different but for the large part they're structured very similarly so it was a lot of um calling out the wrong move but the right type of move. Uh, I think that right. was kind of the biggest uh, thing that would happen was that we'd have to stop. No, wait, wait, wait. That's not, that's the monster of the week move. Dungeon worlds is discern realities. Like, oh, that's right. That's right. Nice. So someone though, that's afraid, like, 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 let's say you're used to D and D and I, we actually have someone that wrote in. Um, so here I'll read it's, This is from Michael Howie and it's a nice segue here. Um, whenever we look at running a new system, he always feels overwhelmed by the amount of stuff in quotes to know. Um, and even though it's, you know, it's, it's quote unquote, all on the player sheet, um, he said, he's talking about a PBTA game. Um, and he's saying he knows there's a lot in D and D, but somehow it just feels more manageable. Um, and, and I get, I think that's coming from, for me, that was coming from familiarity. I assume that's the same for him, right? We spent so many years learning this insanely complex rule system of D and D, um, so what do you say to new game masters, people that are like, they've been doing D&D, they've always played D&D, and then they're looking at this, like, you know, these player sheets and, and stuff. Um, like, what's your what's your recommendation for them for how to get into a new system that's a PBTA? Well, I think there are one or two things you can do. You can either sit down with your players and print out the sheets and, you know, there's, a, you know, the couple of pages you need for uh, the game. For the keeper, you know, I'll go back to Monster of the Week just because it's the one that we started with. Um, you know, even when you first open the book, it says, hey, if you're going to play, these are the pages you should read. If you're going to run it, here are the pages you should read. And if you don't have a lot of time, at least read these few pages. Um, right. And so if you familiarize yourself enough with that um, and just walk through to the table, you know, hey, you know what? We don't really know how this is going to work exactly. We're going to get the swing of it together. And you kind of make it an adventure in and of itself that we're learning this new system. Um, alternatively, I think what you can do is listen to a podcast, watch a let's play. Um, there are quite a few out there now, um, ours included that, you know, in the first six episodes, we work very hard 
to teach you the game while not breaking our own narrative. But we're talking about it as if we are learning it so that by the time you get to the end of the first story arc, my goal is that you could walk away running this game. Nice. Now, you mentioned that um, Powered by the Apocalypse games, they have similar mechanics but do different things. Now, is that because the Powered by the Apocalypse people just wanted to make each system a little bit different? Or is it because there are ones created using, like, you know, the, the D&D 5e rule set, and but they can tweak them of their own accord? Yeah, so really it's that, you know, the original game, uh, Apocalypse World, is where the Powered by the Apocalypse system comes from. And then every other game kind of from there, they have skinned it. Essentially, I think that's the cleanest right. way to say it is I, I take the genre that I want and I just lay it on top of this game system. Um, and so, you know what, in my world, uh, people can be very fortunate. So I'm going to build in a luck system. That's a new mechanic you've got to learn that's just for this. You know, most of the systems now or systems, most of the um, Powered by the Apocalypse games that come out now have one or two things that are specific to that powered by the apocalypse game, but the core rules and the idea of the player sheets for the most part are pretty universal. Right. So somebody picking, switching between monster of the week or dungeon world, um, they're going to see that once they start reading a little bit, they're going to see that, you know, the same concepts are there. You just have to learn the the title basically yeah, in order to see fit lot back of, in oh uh, yeah you're going to see a lot of concepts and moves that you're familiar with it's just going to be it's going to be skinned a little different it's going to be called something different it might have slightly different results um but kind of as a generalization it's you're going to see the things that you're familiar with and then just have to learn the nuances of that you know that genre or that um that locale or how you know however they've changed their version of it right no i think that i think that definitely helps um I mean, it might help others. It definitely helps me in looking at those games and saying, well, they're all at first glance different. What's going on there? Whereas if you pick up anything used by a D&D or a D20 system, they all kind of stick to the same ability scores and all that sort of stuff. So it from uh, what Michael asked, you know, it, the D&D system seems more manageable, maybe because when you pick up a secondary book or something on DM's Guild or something like that, it all falls under the same same feel as far as skills go, but knowing that you got to kind of look a little deeper and just make sure that you know what skills are there and what they've called them, but they're more or less the same thing. I think that might be helpful in what Michael was asking. Yeah, yeah i I think um I think it's interesting when I think of my jump. I wonder how many people have a similar reaction, like. Like like Russ, you and I coming, and and I assume we haven't even asked you, Rev. I assume you've done D and D as well. Uh, you know, I have maybe four or five times, and it's been the last three years. Uh, I started out with uh, Earth Dawn and Shadowrun, and eventually moved into Pathfinder. Fun. I love Shadowrun. Um, yeah. So so, but I think there's like this. Um, there's this in the older games like D and D and Sh- like that. There was always the books, right? You had to get the books. And before 5e, you had to get like seven books, right? I remember when I was doing it, like you had to have the GM's manual in two, right? Like it was, there was, there were rules in there that weren't in the player's handbook. And so like, I think that when you grow up with D&D, you grow up with this model that you got to buy all these books to learn the system. And I think when I was looking at all these PBTA games for the first time, and I hadn't really played them, it was a great suggestion to go out and listen to some or do some uh, to actually watch some people play it, but online, but but it's this idea I think that 
it almost seems strange that we can just start a game, Dungeon World being the exception, where you literally just read a few pages and everything is on the player sheets, right? Like there's not a lot of turning in the book. Like that concept is sort of, I think, part of what makes some people afraid to jump because they just assume they're going to have to learn all this stuff. Yeah. You know, when we run this at conventions, um, when you walk in the door, we hand you everything you need. So you get four pieces of paper and 2D6 and a pencil. That's all you need to play this game. Do you get to keep the 2D6? You do. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Look at that. So I'm just saying, you know, if you ever see us at a con and you're hard up for 2D6, come play a game. We'll make sure you walk away with a set. <laughs> Which, what's the next convention we're going to be at here? <laughs> like you and I need any more dice, Russ. You always need more dice, Sean. <sighs> Dear Lord, always. I know. I know. Always. That was great. Thank you. Here's an interesting question that came up and I'm using, <laughs> I'm, I'm playing Dungeon World and I am totally obliterating the rules as I tend to do. But one, someone asked a question, which is great, which is, uh, Rev, what are your, what are your tips for coming up with the, so basically if you do, if you fail a role, right, you get uh, an experience points, right? It's, or you get a whatever, if you, it's a common mechanism, or at least in Dungeon World. And someone was asking, what do you do in a one shot? How do you give weight to that? Because you're probably not going to go up a level. Oh, give weight to the experience that they're gaining. Yeah. Do you worry about that or? Um, you know, that's interesting, actually, because we just ran a session of games um, about a week and a half ago. And afterwards, someone contacted us. Uh, they had never played the system before. Um, and they were just like, hey, I've got a suggestion. I don't know. You can, you know, love it or leave it. Um, but he was like, you know, the thing that we didn't get to experience in the course of the game was leveling up. Maybe when you have people make their characters, start them out with four points of experience so that they get to level up in the course of that one shot and it's actually something i think i'm going to start implementing because yeah that's kind of an important part of the game and it happens in the moment like you know in powered by the apocalypse when you level up or rather in monster of the week anyway you know when you level up it is in that moment so you could suddenly take a move that really helps you or kind of solves the problem you've just gotten yourself into um if you aren't giving them that experience yeah it's it's tricky to to justify the the cost of the hard move versus that point of experience if you know it's not really going to do them any good. Um, so really, I think, you know, that suggestion that we got from that player like is probably what I'm going to do to help people see how beneficial that experience actually can be inside of a one shot. Yeah, I like that. I'm considering. Yeah, I think I'm going to take that, too. I really like it because also in D&D, you don't want your table leveling up because it takes friggin yes. forever. <laughs> like. Even if they're all using, what's that software that's great? Uh, D&D Beyond? Yeah. Even if you're using D&D Beyond, it's still a 10, 15-minute process. Yeah. Even more so if you have a, a, a spellcaster, right? Whereas in a lot of the Apocalypse games, that leveling up is just like picking one new thing. Yeah. Now, when you, fun- when you do that, you have... Sorry, plating ignorance. When you do that, you have that on the character sheet. Like as soon as you yeah. level up, you can pick a new thing that's already printed there, or you have to go yeah. check it. No, no, it's else. all on the sheet. Yeah, it's on the sheet already. Cool. So it just tells you, hey, you know, pick something from kind of this category, and then once you get an advanced level uh, five to ten, you have a, a new list of things that unlocks that you can select from. Right. Yeah, that's a really cool mechanic. I mean, separating it from D and D, I think they build in the long rest. 
Um, like you, you don't get that next level until you go sleepy sleep is, you know, to say, okay, well, you're going to have to leave the table, go level up and then come back. And next time you're good. <laughs> yeah. You know, dungeon world does require, uh, for you to quote unquote, make camp. Um, but again, it, it's still just as simple of a process. You add a hit point and you pick a new move. Right. Have you ever actually made them make camp? Do you, do you do that? Uh, yeah. You know, in, uh, in the time that we've been playing dungeon world, uh, they do have to have like a, a break time before I'll, I'll let them level up. And so sometimes they stockpile experience uh, and they'll level up twice in one sleeping session. He's like you, Russ. He's a stickler. He's on the, yeah. he's, he's holding them. There's to nothing it. wrong with being a stickler. It makes it a little dangerous uh, in some way that like, oh man, we gotta, we gotta make it to tonight so we can sleep. And yeah, I like that added element of, of kind of strain. So sorry, I might've missed. So the, the camp mechanic is so they have to level up or they get an extra level if they camp? Uh, they, no, they, they yeah, have they, to camp to level up. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. But what he's saying is he may make them wait so long that they have right. enough experience points to do it twice. Fair enough. No, I, I like that. That's just fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, it's just, look at all these times you failed and now, now you got to wait. You see it there, but you got to wait. <laughs> and that is my favorite thing of Dungeon World. I don't know how many PBTA games that exist in. Is it in a lot of them where when you fail, you get an experience? Is that a common mechanic, Rev? Yeah, it, it, at least in the sense of all of the ones that I have encountered so far, you know, the you you gain knowledge from failure is is the rule of thumb. And I love that as a mechanic. Like I'd say instead of gaining mastery from killing things, this idea that, yeah, every time you fail, it makes it, I don't know. I think it's a great mechanic. Yeah. And also, fails can be hard, a hard move, right, in a game. They can be intense. So giving something back to the players is sort of nice. They're like, well, at least I get to level up yeah. or, you know, closer. It makes it more more real world. Like, yeah, you get experience from, you know, bettering yourself at your sword skills or whatever it might be. But oftentimes the only time you get better is when you mess up really big and then yeah you have to better yourself after that so i think that's the only way i've ever learned anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> we've all failed upwards is what he's saying always yeah all. <laughs> all of us so rev what do you say to someone they're they're out there let's say they're a new gm and they they want to start a PBTA game because they they've been listening to Monster of the Week from Taz or Crit Show or wherever, and um and they want to do it, but they're afraid, right? They're not sure. They you know they got some friends. What's what do you say to someone that's like they're just not they're not sure how to take that first step? I think you know obviously the the biggest thing is just try it. Um, you know the thing that I see the most new keepers or DMs or GMs or whatever for a Powered by the Apocalypse game get tripped over is the fact that there is no initiative. There's no order. How do I know who's going now? Um, and, you know, that's really the thing. You know, when, when they call these narrative-driven games, it doesn't mean that that there's a story and that's more important than game mechanics. Um, you know, all all games are telling a story. But it's narrative driven because the way that your character is acting or the way that you describe what you're doing is what triggers the move. So, you know, I I as a player don't get to go, oh, I want to walk into this room and investigate a mystery. No, I as a player. Uh, yes, I'm going to go in this room and I'm going to my flashlight and start to look around. I mean, I know someone was in here. I just don't know where they went. And so then I as the keeper, okay, roll investigate a mystery because they have triggered that move. And the way that you describe things might change the move that I tell you to roll. You might be trying to, 
you know, kick some ass and I'm going to actually have you act under pressure because it's a really dangerous situation. You're still going to get the result of hitting something, um, but it's got that added level of danger now that comes along with uh, act under pressure. So I think that whole kind of mini rant was just to say that it is so much just about putting some of that weight actually on the players in a new way. So you're sharing more of that burden than in, you know, than in Pathfinder or D&D. Um, you're not just a solo storyteller. You are passing it on to them and they're narrating chunks of it. You know, even in Dungeon World, they're coming up with pieces of lore. You know, one of the results is, uh, you know, they know this thing. Ask them how they know it. And then they get to tell you why their character knows this piece of lore. And so, um, you know, it's such a cooperative storytelling and building game that I think that might be enough, hopefully, to, to give the people the courage to, to give it a, a try because you're not sharing that weight you know, on your, that weight's not just on your shoulders. Yeah. I love that answer. And I, I, I think it's a great thing to say to someone that hasn't done it yet. Right. This idea that the whole table doesn't have to learn all the moves. Right. Well, first of all, you just have to know the ones you have, but really getting people to just say what they're doing. Right. It's a haunted house. You're walking in. What are you doing? Yeah. Right. And then waiting for when they've triggered something. So there you go, Russ, you can start a PBTA game now. Perfect. I brought some, I brought some sheets along. Uh, Sean and I have filled them out beforehand. Uh, so you just start leading the narrative, and we will okay. jump right in. I walk into the room. I know somebody was there before, uh huh. And I'm hoping that they left some breadcrumbs. Mm, yes. Uh, I close the door. Oh, roll. Read a bad situation. You've suddenly been locked in this room. Carol, no, that sounded like too many dice. <laughs> or too there, was a D tw- there was a D20 in there. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. The, the two D6s were fives. Which <laughs> it was a one uh, and a four. It was, they were, there was five total. I think that's a fail. <laughs> yes. So Russ just failed. Okay. So what'd you roll, Russ? Uh, a total, I rolled a one and a four, a total of five. Okay. So Russ just failed. And so this is a great segue because uh, a lot of people have written in wanting to understand the difference between hard, a hard move and a partial success, but we're going to make you wait for the next episode to hear Rev tell us and talk to us about making that transition into making hard moves and how to do partial successes, which I really want to get better at. So let's give uh, Rev, I want to thank you. Uh, Rev from The Crit Show, can you tell us... Uh, uh, where where we can find you, where we can listen. Yeah, uh, you can find us uh, at thecritshowpodcast.com. Uh, you can listen to us really anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, we are in our second season now, about halfway through it, uh, and having a good time with these PBTA games. And you can find me at Rev Deshane on Twitter, uh, and you can also find The Crit Show at The Crit Show. Beautiful. We want to thank you so much for coming on, Rev, and talking about PBTA and talking about the Crit Show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to dm to gm If you have questions about getting your game started, send them to us, Russ and Sean. Our email is dm to gmcast at gmail.com. You can also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at dm to gmcast You'll find all the links down in the description. In the meantime, get your game started. We'll talk to you soon. Sean trying to rap. No, you did it. You did it. That was yeah, a good. I did it. I did. You, you, I did. You cliffhangered our advice podcast. <laughs> Way to go, buddy.
I cliffhanger everything I work on. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Hi, we're the narrators of Midst. What's Midst? It's very simple. It's a weird, surrealist, fourth wall-breaking, reality-bending, science-fantasy space western about a small doomed planet floating in a cosmic ocean of spooky darkness. Upon whose alien landscape an ensemble cast of characters, including a crotchety outlaw, a freakishly virtuous cultist, and a diabolical businessman, make awful decisions and fight like hell to survive when the moon falls out of the sky and a large number of terrible things happen in rapid succession. It's exciting, it's funny, it's scary. It's got neat sound, weird music, amazing visuals, and every episode comes with bonus content you can read and examine. Midst is performed solely by yours truly as the three of us narrate all the action, play all of the characters, and bend a lot of the rules about how telling stories is normally supposed to work. Midst is pretty fun, very strange, and it feels like VR for your brain. We believe you'll enjoy it, or maybe you won't, but there's really only one way to find out. You're going to have to listen to Midst. 